Hello and welcome to the Courage to Be podcast, where we explore how to raise your game, lean into discomfort and have more impact and purpose. I am your host, Sinead Millard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode where I speak to Claire Yosa. Claire is considered the UK's leading authority in imposter syndrome. Recently, she has published her new book, Ditching Imposter Syndrome, which draws on the many insights and data that she extracted from the landmark 2019 imposter syndrome research study, which Claire led. I think you will pick up pretty quickly that Claire is quite an expert in this field and while imposter syndrome has become a more talked about topic, for me there's definitely been a lack of data and research to back up some of the insights that have been put out there and I believe this is where Claire really closes the gaps and talks to some of the findings in a way that personally enabled me to reflect on my own experience of imposter syndrome and how to best move through that. Claire, you are very welcome to the show. Thank you, Sinead. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I'm interested. How did imposter syndrome become such a topic of interest for you, Claire? And just to clarify what I mean by topic of interest, you led the landmark 2019 imposter syndrome research study. And of course, more recently, published your new book, Ditching Imposter Syndrome. Exactly. Well, it's actually been a passion of mine for 15 years now. So that kind of feels like forever. So Back in 2003, when I took the leap from the corporate world to set up my leadership development business, I was doing executive mentoring and my first ever client had imposter syndrome and then my next client had imposter syndrome and this trend just kept going and I found that the high achievers I was working with, they dealt with their confidence, they dealt with their mindset, they were outwardly successful they were lying awake in bed at three in the morning, absolutely terrified that somebody might find them out. And at the time, I didn't know it had a name. It was until a few years later that I realized this was imposter syndrome. But the more it came up, the more I realized that what we were doing in the coaching and mentoring world with confidence, with mindset, with attitude, was not even beginning to touch this because it was running much deeper below the surface and identity level. And it made me passionate about researching it, developing techniques that actually worked. And 15 years later, as you say, I ran the research study and then published Ditching Imposter Syndrome last autumn. Was it something that you had to move through yourself? Back in my engineering days, because that was my original training, I vividly remember being outwardly successful and confident and getting great appraisals and being on the fast track for promotions. And lying awake at three in the morning, worried that they'd find me out and realize I didn't belong and I was a fraud and I was just winging it. And it didn't matter when I got the positive feedback from my boss or my colleagues, that 3 a.m. self-talk was still keeping me stuck, playing small, changing who I was to fit in, trying to behave the way everybody wanted me to and not really letting my light shine. And it was, it was very hard because I was one of just two female engineers in the factory. 
one day I opened up to my fellow female engineer and we chatted about this and I thought she was going to tell me I was crazy and she admitted she felt the same way too but we didn't have a label for this so we just did what most people do we pushed it down and we pushed on through despite it and it wasn't till many years later once I really had studied this that I realized how dangerous and damaging that is to our confidence to what we can achieve it makes us self-sabotage the research study last year shows it can even lead to mental health issues. So I did the classic push on through, that coping strategy. And it wasn't until I got to start working with my one-to-one -one clients and seeing it from the other side of the room that I realized there was so much you could do to clear this out once and for all in ways that are really healthy and actually quite straightforward to do. Okay, amazing. And I want to get to those tools in terms of mitigating imposter syndrome. But if we can take a step back, because I feel like it's a term that we're becoming more familiar with. But if we can just maybe clarify for the audience what exactly imposter syndrome is, because we even hear it being used interchangeably with the word self-doubt. So if you can maybe yeah. help us better understand what it means. Absolutely. So self-doubt is about what you can and can't do. So that's at the skills and capabilities level. Imposter syndrome is much deeper. It's about who do you think you are? Who do you see yourself as being? And I talk about the imposter syndrome gap, which is the gap between who you think you are and who you think you need to be to achieve your goals or your dreams. That gap is like a ravine that takes enormous courage to get over. And that gap is imposter syndrome. So it's at that identity level. Who am I to be doing this? What if they find out I'm not good enough? What if they realize I am a fraud? All of these I am statements give us the indication that imposter syndrome is there running at the who am I identity level rather than the more surface level, what are my skills and capabilities? And that's one of the reasons why, for example, classic training courses find it really hard to shift imposter syndrome because they're working at the mindset level rather than going below the surface and looking at who we see ourselves as being. Really then about evaluating that identity and perhaps getting clear on what you want that identity to look like. Is that, is that it, am I it, right in saying yeah. that? Yeah, it's looking at which masks we put on. What armour are we wearing? Because one of the things imposter syndrome does is, is we do push it down. We hide it. Nobody wants to sit there in a meeting and go, hey, I just had an imposter syndrome thought, yeah? <laughs> mm. um, you know, whilst you might go to a colleague and, or your boss and ask for training in Microsoft Office or even public speaking skills, it's really rare for somebody to come in and say, I want support with imposter syndrome. So instead, we use our coping strategies. We put our masks on. We shut parts of us down, we pretend to be somebody that we're not, and we wear that armour to protect ourselves. So a lot of clearing imposter syndrome is actually about taking that armour off by dealing with the reason we put the armour on in the first place so that we feel safe and confident to show up with all of who we really are all of the time. I love that and I love how you referred to the masks um, and this is something that we've talked a little bit on the show before but I guess I'm also hearing perhaps some of the thoughts that might be going through the listeners minds which are okay firstly how do I identify the mask that I'm wearing because I think sometimes we can become so familiar with our mask that we're not sure whether or not it's part of our identity or it is a mask and then from there how do you begin to take this mask off? Absolutely. 
the key, I mean, I have a five stage process that I've developed over the 15 years to ditch imposter syndrome. And the first step, once you think it's imposter syndrome, is really to look at actually clearing up the myths, first of all. So that's step one, is ditching the myths that keep us stuck, like it becomes a badge of honor. It's, oh, I need my imposter syndrome. It helps me to perform or it keeps me humble or it's inevitable or it's a sign that I'm succeeding and growing. All of those myths will keep us stuck. Then you move into step two, which is learning how to tame your inner critic, because that's how imposter syndrome communicates with us. It's through that lovely 3 a.m. self-talk that tells us that we're not yeah. good enough and they're going to find us out and we don't belong. When you know how to genuinely safely press pause on that self-talk and turn it into a cheerleader without pretending, without whitewashing, it starts to give you back your power to choose not to fall into the imposter syndrome trap. And then step three is about clearing out those deeper root causes, the limiting beliefs, the fears, the excuses that feed the thoughts. Step four is all about identifying and taking off the masks in a way that feels safe and healthy. And step five is then really stepping into the version of you that was here and born to lead in whatever it is that you're doing, whatever difference it is you're here to make in the world, whether that is in the wider world or somebody else's business. When you talk about without pretending, that, mm -hmm. that term just kind of caught my attention because yeah. I think there is a lot of... I mean, there's, there's lots of messages out there, I guess, feel the fear and do it anyway, you know, oh, yeah. push on through. <laughs> so, so I just, I want to go there for a moment because yeah, I please. think there's something there. Just elaborate a little in terms of the not pretending and not pushing through. So what happens when imposter syndrome comes out to play is it fires off our fear-based thoughts. They then create biochemical reactions in the body that trigger the fear hormones. It puts us into the fight, flight, freeze response, the sympathetic nervous system. That diverts the blood flow in the brain from the frontal cortex that comes up with your brilliant ideas to the primal part that only cares about survival and short-term decision-making. So when you're looking at wanting to achieve something, if you're operating from a place of fear, which means that your body is also tense, and you don't have access to the frontal cortex of the brain, it's harder to come up with those great ideas, it's harder to think clearly, it's why your mind goes blank in a meeting. So the whole push on through the fear means we struggle to perform to our usual standard for physiological reasons with the brain blood flow, and we also create health issues with chronic stress. It's one of the biggest triggers for major health problems is chronic long-term stress and the imbalance of the body's hormone system due to that stress and fear. So I'm really not a fan of the whole feel the fear, just do it. You know, yes, we need to make sure that we're not just telling ourselves mind story fears. But if you can clear that fear and do it excited and do it with confidence and do it with energy and passion, you're going to get really different results. And this is why I talk to people about clearing up triggers for the fears, being able to press pause on the inner critic, because a lot of the stories we tell ourselves are fear-based. And if we're really objective, they're not true, yeah? So being able to clear out those fears to then take inspired action will move you much more quickly towards your dreams than pushing on through the fear and doing it scared. 
So one of the reasons I wrote Ditching Imposter Syndrome is, for example, there are only so many people I can work with one-to-one. I don't take on many one-to-one clients these days. And there is so much that you can do yourself. And the book actually includes the techniques and strategies that I use with my high achiever, senior leadership, one-to-one clients. So I love to teach people practical strategies rather than kind of psycho sloths. Do you know what I mean? Is yeah. the, right, okay, here's how I go and do this. And I also, I'm, I know you'll know what this is like. I'm busy. Everyone is busy. So I like to teach techniques that work in less time than it takes to drink a cup of tea. Okay? And nice. if, exactly, <laughs> because we can all find that long. So one of the simplest techniques, do you mind if I teach one now? Oh, really? I love that. Yeah. So my favorite super emergency quick fix technique, if imposter syndrome is coming up, say you're about to walk into a meeting or give a presentation or you've just had that ping on your phone from your boss saying, have you got a minute? Okay. And you get that tension, that sinking feeling, the jaw tenses, the mind stories kick off. So the technique that I would use in that point is the ABC. This is how to press pause on your inner critic and turn it round without pretending, which is something you asked about, Sinead. Because one of the things the research study found was that positive thinking does not fix imposter syndrome, okay? Which has shocked a lot of people. The reason it doesn't fix imposter syndrome is you cannot simply paper over the cracks. You cannot replace negative thinking with positive thinking because those neural pathways are hardwired in your brain you need to create new neural pathways. And what I discovered a good few years ago with my clients is to go from a negative thought to an encouraging thought, you actually need to go through neutral. So it's just like changing gear in a car. You can't just go straight from first to third. You have to come in through neutral from first and go into third. Otherwise, you destroy your gearbox. And it's the same with a negative thought. So the ABC process helps you to reset the nervous system's fight, flight, freeze response, bring the body back into balance, and then you choose the positive thought, and then it actually works because you're not fighting the hormones in your body. Okay? So the ABC is really simple. It's accept, breathe, choose. So you notice that you're going down this rabbit hole of negative thinking with imposter syndrome, and you simply accept those thoughts. Those were imposter syndrome thoughts. Rather than pushing them down, which can actually cause problems with the cell receptors in the body, or fighting them, which makes them defend themselves, and actually you're creating new neural pathways. You simply accept them. Then you do breathing, and I love to do three deep sighing breaths, breathing in through the nose and out with a sigh, just letting the body come back down to calm. So three deep sighing breaths, And then just some gentle belly breathing where you watch your breath in and out of your belly, just letting go. Do that for about 30 seconds and it resets all of those stress hormones in the body. So that when you choose the positive thought, your brain is no longer stuck defending the negative thoughts, okay? So you've got accept, breathe, choose. And the choose is choose to think three thoughts that are specific, and that trigger a positive emotion for you about the topic that you were thinking negatively about. So say you've just been asked to give a pitch to a client and that old self-talk comes up, accept, okay, that's my client pitch self-talk. Do the breathing to reset the body 
choose to then think of three specific things about your presenting skills in the past that have gone well or that you know that you feel positive about to bring that sense of relief. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm guessing because I, I am coming, I'm hearing you also mention speaking up in a meeting and, yeah. and I'm trying to take the process that you're talking about mm. and bring it into everyday corporate life. Yeah. Um, having definitely experienced imposter syndrome, I was over a decade in marketing and I can very yeah. much relate to that. And it's a very fast moving industry. So I guess what I'm trying to do is think about how and when or listeners can tap into these um, in these various different situations. Um, and I'd like to hear from you, I guess, did this become a practice that is almost second nature? Absolutely. Once you bring that into your daily life. Absolutely. So when you're sitting in the meeting, you don't do the audible sighing because people tend to make assumptions about what's going on with you <laughs> yeah. when you do that. So that's best done in the ladies or gents. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But once you, so the beautiful thing with this is what you're doing is you're training your brain in a really positive way to go from the stimulus, which is being in the meeting and you've just been asked a question or you've got an idea and you want to speak up. And instead of going down the rabbit hole of self judgment, you have trained your brain to automatically go through the cycle of, okay, I just had that thought again. Right, let's go back up the other side and tap into my inner cheerleader. So it does start to become second nature. And to give you an example, people often tell, ask me, well, Claire, surely, you know, imposter syndrome is incurable. You can't ditch it. It's just ridiculous. So when I get asked to do something that's well outside a comfort zone now, I don't need to go down the imposter syndrome rabbit hole, but it doesn't mean I don't get that first thought. That first thought of, oh, who am I to do that? Who am I to speak at that gig, for example? Great. Okay. That was an imposter syndrome thought. So that means I need to shift who I see myself as being so I can make a success of that. And I start focusing on that journey instead of the fear journey. And that's what ah. these techniques can do for you is those thoughts might still come up, but the way you handle them and what they do for you is completely different. Okay. That's nice. So I'm envisioning here. So I guess an opportunity comes up. You're mm -hmm focus now turns to that particular opportunity and you become intentional about process plus the outcome as it relates to that particular situation rather than getting caught up in the kind of old dialogue of why it is you shouldn't be there exactly that and the focus is on who do i need to allow myself to become for that particular challenge to actually become exciting and for me to believe I can do it and to be able to show up with all of who I really am without those masks and absolutely rock it. Yeah. Mm, this is a real discipline, I can imagine. Quite an important habit and discipline, um, yeah. but something that, that definitely would take a lot of intention at the beginning. It's little and often. So if you're going through a stressful time, something like the ABC, which of course is just one of the techniques I write or ditching imposter syndrome would be a very skinny book. Yeah, something like the ABC, you might do 10 times a day. And then you might work on one of the next layer of techniques. And one of the reasons I structure the work I teach in the way I do is it builds in inevitable success. By taming your inner critic and learning how to press pause on those thoughts before you start looking at your masks, it means that if a mask comes up to be dealt with, you no longer have the inner critic then diving off and screaming at you. 
So it's all layered to make it as easy as possible for you. And when you deal with those deeper root causes, you have fewer of the higher level thoughts that triggered the imposter syndrome. So actually, the more you work on this, the easier it gets. But it does require a decision. It does require commitment. And I call it with my clients, I call it their Basta moment. So Basta, my granny was Italian. Basta is my favorite Italian word. And it means loosely translated enough Basta. Yeah. And my, yeah. my kids, my kids know it well. And, <laughs> and when you have a Basta moment, what it means is you've actually chosen to change. You've actually said enough. I'm not being that way anymore. I'm not doing that stuff anymore. I mean it. I've chosen to make this change. That suddenly gives you the energy and the freedom to make that change easier. Where we struggle with change is where we haven't really committed to it. and We've only just dipped that toe in the water. Does that make sense? Yeah. And why do you think we struggle to commit to change? Has this got a link to how we set our goals? It's, it's a great thing that keeps us stuck called secondary gain. Um, which I like to call, what is that crazy behavior doing for me? Okay, so <laughs> the secondary gain is some unmet need. All of our behaviors are at some level are trying to keep us safe. We're hardwired for survival. Secondary gain is the real reason we've got that behavior. And when you spot your secondary gain, what is imposter syndrome doing for me? What do I actually get to avoid as a result of running imposter syndrome, for example? When you meet that need in a healthier way, or you clear out the cause for that need, then the change becomes inevitable. But while we're fighting with that secondary gain, there's a bit of us is going to dig its heels in and say, no, I'm here to keep you safe. And I'm really scared that if you make that change, this terrible thing is going to happen. And it makes the change difficult and slow if it happens at all. And the secondary gain is really what keeps us stuck in habits for decades that we wish we could change. Um, can I give an example that might make it? Yeah, I was just going to say, could yeah. you give an example of a set? Yeah, okay. please. So me and coffee. <laughs> 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 me and coffee so with my toolkit changing habits is something I don't have much of an excuse not to do okay um for many years when I was studying to become a meditation teacher I would try to give up coffee and there were two things running I, I could give it up for about a month and then one sniff and I was right back in so the first thing is I hadn't really committed to giving up coffee. I loved coffee. It was part of my daily routine. It was a ritual. I had the willpower to give it up, but I hadn't really given it up. I was just depriving myself. The second thing is it was my badge of honor. So this was my secondary gain. The unmet need that coffee was meeting for me was I was a single mother with two children under the age of three and running a business, and I was absolutely exhausted. So after yet another sleepless night with my under one-year-old, my coffee in the morning was, I did it. It was my reward. So that was my secondary gain. And whilst it was meeting that emotional need for me, there was no way I was going to give up coffee long term. And I haven't drunk coffee for about three or four years now, because one morning I woke up and I realized it was giving me palpitations and mood swings. And I just thought, you know, enough. I don't want this stuff. It's not worth it to me. And it was easy. The coffee went. So it was okay, no right. longer. So, so, yeah. 
So, so it, is it the is the exercise simply to become aware of the secondary gain? Is awareness enough? It often can be. And sometimes actually the secondary gain will then tell us what it is that we need to clear. So the secondary gain, say you've been asked to prepare a presentation for a board meeting and imposter syndrome kicks off. Who am I to do that? What if they realize I'm not good enough? You can start looking at, well, what's driving those fears? When you clear out the root cause of those fears, the secondary gain, then the rest of it just melts away. And it might be something like, if I mess up, I'll lose my job and you go down this spiral of all the terrible things that will happen. So sometimes it can be as simple as you say of, well, actually, I'm not going to lose my job and I'm not going to mess up because I know my boss will bet the presentation 15 times and I'll have to do two trial runs. So sometimes logic is enough. Sometimes it is a fear at the deeper level that we can use tools to clear out that means that it doesn't have to be a problem for you anymore. Well, I like that. And, I, and then in terms of who's perhaps more susceptible to imposter syndrome, mm. was there a trend that appeared in your research? It was fascinating, actually, <laughs> and scary. Um, so it affects people who are outwardly confident more than those who are struggling with self-doubt because people who are struggling with self-doubt may also have imposter syndrome, but they need to clear out the basic self-doubt first. And what I found is that the incidence levels between men and women are almost the same. It was 52% of female respondents and 49% of male respondents were struggling daily or regularly. Where a really big shift happened is when you get to the more senior levels. For men, the rates went down dramatically, and for women, they went up. So I ran some qualitative interviews after the research study to find out why this was. And what the men said was, well, once I've got the C-suite job title, that's reaffirmed my, my, you know, my, my abilities and it's my proof to the outside world that I am good enough. It was, you know, it was giving them that inner belief. With women, what they found is the spotlight was on them. They often found themselves then working in an alpha male environment that was no longer as nurturing as it had been at the levels below. And they were constantly scared that people were going to try and trip them up or find them out. And they felt they had to prove themselves even more. So one of the things when I work with businesses on this is I work with them to make sure that if they've got a woman who's a rising star, who they want to get into that level of role, is that we help her to clear out imposter syndrome before she gets there because if it's not affecting her at the level below when she gets to that next level it will kick in and that's actually the majority of my one-to-one -one clients is people who are high achievers who've got to that level who suddenly go oh my goodness i actually now have to deal with imposter syndrome because it's becoming crippling so the pressure almost as well of the title um, exactly. almost exasperates the, the self-critic and are companies becoming more open to addressing this issue or recognizing this as an inhibitor of growth and performance within the company it's really interesting some of them are and they're seeing really great results one of the challenges companies face is how well people can hide this yeah, it's easier to tell when someone's not confident than to tell when they've got imposter syndrome. So that makes it really hard for managers and HR teams to be able to spot who needs the support, which is one of the reasons I run awareness training for people in those roles, to be able to see the early warning signs so that they can help people to turn this around. 
the counterside to that is a lot of companies, because people are good at hiding it and pushing on through, assume there's nothing they need to do, despite the fact we now have hard data on how it affects people, productivity, performance, and profit. So companies need to be leading the way on this. And I do a lot of talks for women's networks in corporates, for example. And that's wonderful to raise awareness and to teach them the basics of how to handle it. But unless it's then backed up by the company saying, and here's some training or support or where to go to, what it can actually do is just open up Pandora's box. So it's still a tricky area. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on providing in-house support to perhaps more young professionals mm -hmm. who are um, kind of a little bit less seasoned within a very competitive environment. Mm. Well, one of the things I do is I actually run a certified in-house coach training program because the skills to help somebody with imposter syndrome are different to helping them with lots of other things that we end up doing as coaches. So it can really help for a company to have some of that because so much coaching is going in-house as well now. It can really help for a company to have a few of their coaching team trained up to be experts in this to help with the early warning signs. Um, something else I've seen that's brilliant is women networks having additional meetings on how to support each other, what we can do, how we can bring this out into the open. I've seen senior leaders actually giving talks in their companies about how they've struggled with imposter syndrome so that we remove the taboo. And all of this helps us to make this discussion as normal as asking for software training, as normal as asking for training on how to put together a presentation. When we remove the taboo, we take away the shame. And imposter syndrome, because it's at that who am I, that judgment, that identity level, it comes with a lot of shame. Sometimes I define imposter syndrome as the fear of others judging us the way we're judging ourselves. And when you think you're the only person that's got it, you crank up the dial on that judgment. So anything a company can do to offer solutions to make this something normal that we talk about as part of the growth process is that some people, you know, chances are half the people in the office are going to be going through this at any time. To ignore that when we look at how it affects performance, it can turn a rising star when they get promoted into a micromanaging bully boss. And it can cause star performers in teams to leave if they end up working for a person like that it can turn teams toxic so the cost is really high and the challenge is finding a way to open the discussion within the company in a way that is positive and empowering and gives people those next steps rather than what some ceos tell me they fear is it becoming a badge of honor and an excuse for poor performance yeah, it's incredible because I guess, you know, it does require courage to stand up and say, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing whether the term imposter syndrome mm -hmm. is, is used. Um, but I guess it's, and, you know, you're looking at your other colleagues and as you said, it's, it's very often the externally confident, the extroverts that it's affecting. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm interested as well in terms of its link to burnout. Mm -hmm. What did you see in your research? Was there any direct correlation? Absolutely. So one of the first things that happens when somebody's got imposter syndrome is they will knuckle down and work twice as hard and becoming the classic, the archetypal workaholic because the harder you work, the less like, <clears throat> excuse me, the less like you are to be found out as not good enough. And we came up from the research with a model called the four P's of imposter syndrome that are directly related to burnout. 
they're perfectionism, they are procrastination and people pleasing and paralysis. So what this means for perfectionism means that you're going to work extra hard and try and get such high standards that nobody can think you're not good enough. The procrastination is where you are avoiding tasks because frankly they're a bit scary so you end up filling your time with busyness all the stuff that you're dancing around the edges of that task so you end up doing much more than you need to to get something done the paralysis is like that frozen rabbit in headlights where you simply pretend a task is not there you can't see it it's like playing hide and seek with a three-year-old when they cover their eyes and say you can't see me and you have to play along yeah you're pretending the task isn't there and then you use the deadline and that adrenaline rush to push on through and get it done and the people pleasing the fourth p that is to do with taking on jobs that aren't really yours in order to feel part of the tribe or not having clear enough boundaries and these fit perfectly with the fight, flight, freeze response in the sympathetic nervous system's stress and fear response. Because there's now a fourth one in the fight, flight, freeze, which is called fawning, which fits perfectly with the people pleasing. So yes, it can lead to burnout. It can lead to mental health issues. It can lead to people giving up a career that they loved because they don't want to be found out as a fraud. And it can also lead, particularly with women, we found it leads to some of the best women leaving their company and going for promotions elsewhere because they don't want to apply internally and then risk the humiliation of people finding out they didn't get the role. Well, the repercussions are pretty, like they're pretty big. This is the yeah. interesting piece. I mean, if we think about how much corporates invest in their employees, if they've, you know, some, some whether it's female or male, have been in the organization for up to 10 years and for them to leave um, as a result of imposter syndrome seems mm -hmm. like such a loss. It is such a loss. This is one of the reasons why I did the research study is we now have data that allows people to objectively assess whether it's self-doubt, whether it's imposter syndrome, and then start to create an action plan to help somebody turn that around. And we didn't have that before. So that's brilliant progress. And last question as we, well, nearly your last question as we come to a close, but this is coming up for me as you're speaking um, about employees within an organization. So perhaps a decision is made to leave the organization, um, right? And, and I, I'm going to try to articulate this as best I can because it's, it's kind of clear in my head, which is very often um, people make a decision to leave an, an organization because they feel like uh, it's no longer in line with their values. So the work that they're doing, um, the role that they hold. But I also see clients questioning whether or not it's a values issue or it's a uh, kind of imposter syndrome slash self-belief um, issue. Is this something you've any experience of or anything you could um, talk to? Absolutely. So what can happen is it can be a values issue. And without naming names, I've left an employer in the past because of a values clash, because I realized mm -hmm. I didn't want to be the person that fitted with those values. But what happens with imposter syndrome is we're very clever at convincing ourselves that our motivations are different to what they really are. So we might convince ourselves it's a values issue, Whereas, in fact, it's actually imposter syndrome, just like with the four P's, for example, they're one of the reasons why classic time management training doesn't work, because, you know, when you've got your secret fears driving procrastination and perfectionism and paralysis and people pleasing, that's going to affect your ability to manage your time. 
but we convince ourselves that that's not really what's happening. We convince ourselves we're too busy. So the stories we tell ourselves might have something underneath. So yes, we might be saying, I've got to leave because this company is no longer a good fit, but it might also be that it's imposter syndrome, but the company not being a good fit is an easier story to fall asleep with at night. That's a really, really interesting point. And I guess it all, and it really kind of highlights for me as well, the extent to which imposter syndrome is quite crippling and painful that we would actually um, leave an entire career that perhaps is congruent with our va values on, mm. on many levels um, because we, we can't handle that inner turmoil. Exactly. <clears throat> it's a self-preservation strategy. And it's so sad because there is so much you can do to clear imposter syndrome once and for all. And when I work with my clients, we have a 90 day program and the shifts they make in that time are just incredible. Even in the first few weeks, you can start creating breakthroughs as the masks come off and the old coping strategies are no longer needed. The sense of relief and freedom and excitement that you feel is incredible. And my advice would be, if you're listening and you're at that stage of, do I leave my company or is it imposter syndrome, is clear the imposter syndrome first, whether you stay or whether you go, because we take ourselves with us when we move. And you might as well take a bigger, better, more whole version of you to the new role, rather than take the one that's lying awake at three o'clock in the morning, hoping that changing the environment's gonna change that. Claire, this takes us to a lovely place. Thank you so much. I would like you. you to kind of give listeners a little bit more information as to where they can find out more about you or where they can reach you. Thank you. Well, I'm at clareyosa.com. And if you've got imposter syndrome or you want to find out more about it, I've got a whole website of resources and articles and videos and information on ditching imposter syndrome at ditchingimpostorsyndrome.com. And if you've got questions, I'd love to hear from you. Come and find me on social media and let me know. Thank you so much, Claire. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that has resonated with you, or perhaps you think it could benefit someone else, then please do share this link or start the conversation. If you haven't done so already, click on the subscribe button in your listening app. And as always, I really value your feedback. So please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And for more information, full show notes, links and resources, you can pop over to my website, SineadMillard.com. See you next time back here on The Courage To Be.